and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Well, welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. This is a podcast in which we interview expert leaders around the country on best practices for healing our national healthcare system and culture of medicine. Today, I wanna extend a very warm welcome to my good friend and colleague, Dr. Tammy Chang. And I have had the honor of knowing her for the past year. We met through Dr. Louisa Duran, who is her co-founder of Pink Coat MD. And we also had the opportunity to co-lead a workshop together in February of this year at the LA Burnout Symposium on best practices for healthcare transformation. So Dr. Chang is a board-certified pediatric oncologist. She's an award-winning author, TEDx speaker, leadership coach, podcast host, and fierce national advocate for culture change in healthcare. She is the co-founder of Pink Coat MD, the co-founder and director of Elevate, the American Medical Women's Association Leadership Development Program for Women Physicians, and the medical director of, of Provider Wellness for MultiCare Health System. Dr. Chang has received numerous awards, including Women We Admire's Top 50 Women Leaders of Washington for 2022, and 2022 American Stevie, Stevie Business Awards. She won two of them, Woman of the Year and Woman of the Year in Healthcare, and Health 2.0's 2022 Outstanding Healthcare Leadership Award. So needless to say, Dr. Chang is definitely qualified for this podcast discussion today. I'm so excited to talk with you today, Tammy. Oh, thank you for having me, Dr. Sophia, Katie Sophia Cole. <laughs> well, honored you know, to be here. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Well, I always start out, you know, with asking, you know, what is your own personal journey with burnout in healthcare? And, you know, I know that you also have a history of depression that you've been um, talking about openly. I would love to hear about your journey and what got you into well-being in healthcare. Oh, of course. I think so many of us have a journey, have a journey. We've been through our own story, right? There's something personal about it. And that's mm -hmm. certainly the case for me. And I've been very open intentionally because this is something, honestly, I think it's a almost universal experience in some way for almost all of us in healthcare. And mm -hmm. um, none of us are alone, but a lot of us feel really alone, right? Mm -hmm. When we're struggling. So I'm, I'm not, I haven't been practicing. I mean, I've been out of training about 10 years, so not forever, but I'm on, I hope I'm, I guess I'm sort of younger, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> anymore, but um, I'm in the cusp of becoming a mid mid career. But uh, it was I was only five years out when I really hit rock bottom, and I talk about that quite a lot and all the work I do. And uh, I'd gone to really intense training. I did an intense fellowship at St. Jude. Um, I, I it's not like I was a, a new person to tough a tough uh, lifestyle, right? And tough training that we've all gone through. But there was a constellation of you know, factors mm -hmm. when I hit really severe, severe burnout about five years into being the attending where I work now. And uh, I'd always, I'd struggled with depression off and on since college. And it really hit rock bottom at that time too. So I was, I was actively suicidal and wow. couldn't do it anymore. And that, that really is the turning point. It, when I look back on it, it's about five years ago now that that happened. Wow. And it's, you know, it's really interesting. And I, 
that happened, the same thing happened to me even three uh-huh. years out of residency training and I was suicidal as well. And I've talked openly about that. Um, it's, it's interesting how that can just kind of creep up on us as physicians because we're so high functioning yeah. and we just push, we're trained to push through things and, and persevere through depression and anxiety and things like that. So we don't realize things are really escalating underneath you know, the deep layers. So um, I'm thank you for sharing your story. And and I know that you did a TED talk last fall um, titled Women Doctors Are Struggling in Silence. Mm -hmm. And in that TED talk, you shared your own personal journey with that, as well as how you were able to overcome your burnout. Can you share a little bit about that? Oh, sure. It's it's always hard to do till till a a huge story in 10 minutes right but I think no I know it's part of the challenge and the fun of putting together a TED talk so I I tried my story was a part of it and then just to open it and then it really focused on trying to summarize all of the key issues and data that women doctors face today in modern healthcare 2022 2023 in 10 minutes so that if someone was brand new to this whole concept or subject they could really get everything they need from that 10 minutes Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, you definitely, I've listened to your TED talk many times (laughs) and it was very, um, very powerful in the way that you designed it and you wove in some storytelling as well. Um, What, what did you do to, how did you reach out for help or how, how did you recognize that there was, it was time to do something about your suicidal thoughts and depression? Yeah, I, I'd actually been having suicidal thoughts for some time, but I actually tried to, I almost drove my car off of uh, a road coming home from work. And it, oh, I mean, now I can talk about it with a fair amount of, and you're a psychiatrist. So I'm always like, Ooh, what, what's going on with me? Tell me what I should have done better. <laughs> like, help me. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I, it wasn't until that t- moment that I, it like, I was like, oh yeah, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But until then I was like, we just suck it up and we put our head down and we just keep going, right? That's just what we're, we've done our whole lives. And I mean, I, I've certainly done that my whole life since I was a kid. Oh, so, yeah. And I mean, yeah. And I think most of us who are physicians when, in our training, we just, and that's our culture. We just don't mm-hmm. complain and we keep working. If it's hard, just work harder. <clears throat> don't complain. Exactly. And so it uh, it wasn't until I actually tried to do that. And I, I didn't, obviously, but I came close to. And then I, it was, then I drive, I drove home and, and was like, okay, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I called my my best bud, who's also a pediatric oncologist. We did fellowship together, and I didn't. I actually didn't tell me what what I almost did for several months, uh, but I was like, I need help, and I just like broke down crying and couldn't mm-hmm. speak anymore. But I, I actually didn't even really tell anyone that I tried to do that. I tried to drive my golf club until I saw Louisa again, who's now my pink co-founder, and that was about three months later. So I didn't even. I was sharing this recently over coffee with a friend. I didn't even tell. I saw two counselors, two therapists. I obviously reached out to my boss, our, our chief medical officer in our hospital. I didn't tell them either because I was so worried. This is why you and I are so passionate about this work. I was so worried. I was like, first of all, I, I can't, I can't end up in the ED. I don't want to end up in a psych hospital. I, I don't, I don't want to lose my license. I can't lose my job. <laughs> you know, like our whole identity is so wrapped up in the work we do as physicians. And so I, oh. I did, I was smart enough to not tell anyone. That I actually tried to do. Oh, that just makes me sad. And I was right there with you. Here I am a psychiatrist. And you know, what was I gonna do? Like I had really no one to turn to, you mm-hmm. know, because 
at the end of the day, I'm the one that specializes in suicidality. So I hear you. It was really hard. It was a really hard time. There's a lot of shame around that, which is Mm -hmm. why I'm so grateful that we're getting out there and we're sharing our story because we're losing one to two doctors a day to suicide right now. And I bet you it's even higher than that. I think it's underreported. And I think the more we share our story, my hope is that even if a physician or nurse or any healthcare professional is listening to this, you know, they're going to know they're not alone in those feelings and that they are not normal and that, you know, there is help and that there's hope as well. And there's people like you that are fierce advocates for healthcare well-being and turning things around. So we don't feel so depressed and so isolated yeah. and hopeless in healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, and we're actively as a, I feel like we're, we're, part, you and I are part of a big movement, right? And there yeah. are many people who are actively working with legislation to remove the actual the actual legislative fear right that we have about our licenses and our credentialing so and that's helping I think we're almost halfway there with Corey Feist and Lauren yeah I think we're up to like 22 23 yeah yeah I think we've had a couple more in the last couple months so maybe we're up to 25 now I know we're getting there slowly but surely (laughs) right that's the kind of stuff and then over time that's how we change a culture like the culture is not going to change overnight but over for any for anyone that doesn't know we're talking about we're talking about the legislation in terms of changing the languaging on medical license applications for each state as well as credentialing at healthcare organizations in the state so that we as physicians don't have to say yes we've had depression or yes we've undergone therapy or had any kind of mental health treatment the only question they leave is the one are you currently disabled or unable to practice. So it's really helping. Um, I think we need to spread the word on that too. <laughs> Most places don't know. And even yeah. where I work, we, we, we actually just got it all approved through our system and we're still trying to figure out how to share that information. So everyone knows about it. Well, yeah, keep me updated and I'll certainly post on social media. Um, yeah. It's do. official. Yeah. It's official. So right. we'll, we'll start sharing it, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. We're all on together. So then you decide you're going to co-found a nonprofit or pink coat MD. Yeah, right? we, yeah, we're actually not nonprofit. We're yeah. nonprofit. You're for we, <laughs> sort of, I mean, whatever we, we felt really strongly that because there's sort of a bias about women, mm-hmm. the work we do should always be nonprofit. And we said, no, we, we are going to, we are going to break that, um, that stereotype I and love that bias that women should always do things for free. And we're like, no, not that nonprofit is free, but um, and we're not trying to make a lot of money. Like our goal is ultimately to be, to be sustainable enough that we can have our own foundation and then have our nonprofit arm, right, too, as well. Like there's way more power in, um, in being able to do that for others. So yeah, so that was something we were very intentional about. Yeah, absolutely. And tell, tell us a little bit about Pink Code MD and your mission and purpose with this organization. Yeah, I, I shared the first person that I actually told about this actual suicidal piece of my story to was Lisa, who had been my friend since we were 18. We met freshman year uh, orientation of college. We were in the eight-year medical program at Brown together. And so we, we go way back to when we were kids, right? So there's deep trust. And I we reconnected just by chance after that summer that I struggled that period of time. And I'd just gone back to work around that time. And I shared what was going on. She shared her struggles with me. We literally walked around the block in Seattle and then I drove her to the SeaTac airport. And in that, I would say about an hour of time, we were like, we gotta do something. We don't know what it's going to be yet, <laughs> but we gotta help other people because we can't be the only two people struggling out there. 
And when we were struggling, what we did was just start Googling, like, help, <laughs> you know, like, help me, things for women. And there are, are some other groups out there, but it was early, even this was what, three, four years ago that we were looking into doing this. Mm-hmm. And we realized, so just by, because we're both, you know, we're physicians, we're very evidence-based. We're like, there's got to be people who've done research about this stuff that works <laughs> in an evidence-based way. And so we started digging through all the literature I mean, we just spent a lot of time on PubMed and Google is what we did. And then we discovered this wealth of information, which you and I are so passionate about, right? The work of Stanford, Mayo, the AMA. And we know that there's a ton of resources that are evidence-based. Why is it so hard to find them all? And can we tailor them specifically for women? And what are the needs of women too on top of regular, just not even just physicians, women physicians. So then we tried to really, what we intentionally built was like one big umbrella where we bring all the key high quality, like the best quality evidence-based resources under one umbrella. So it's not overwhelming. It's all included so that a woman just essentially, she's struggling for help can come to this or struggling with her career can just come to the website and know that everything on there is like curated. We've actually tried it out ourselves. We've either like taken the course or worked with the coach (laughs) or (laughs) like we've like literally tried everything out and it's all evidence-based on purpose because, um, like we essentially created what we wish we had when we were struggling for others. Well, yeah. And I love that on your website, you even show um, the outcomes. It sounds like you're evaluating how it's going and you yeah. really help women get promoted to leadership positions in healthcare and you help them with self-compassion and, you know, resolving their own and the individual side of burnout, you know, um, and helping them decide how they want to stay in healthcare, what niche they want to play in. I think that's really important. And I just want to highlight and thank you for helping to keep women physicians in healthcare. That's you know, our goal. Is, well, physicians in general, but I, I think our key is if we can help a woman physician save her career and then even just not even save the career, but thrive in the end and then become an agent of change. I mean, if she wants, I mean, that to us is, that's our dream. Because what really motivates us is knowing that we're not it. Like there's a whole nother generation. And it, and I think it's very present for Louisa because her own daughter who's eight now really wants to become a physician. Yeah. And so we keep, we actually, I have a photo of little Annie here next to my <laughs> all the time because it's like, it keeps us centered and on our focus, focus. Like that's our, she's yeah. our compass because it it's a lot, all the stuff we're doing. And we're like, is this what is the right thing for the next generation for Annie? Well, we want this for Annie. And it's kind of our litmus test for everything we do. Wow, is that's a really, really powerful symbol, and um, it it really it really puts things in perspective, I think, and helps us because what's coming to me is that I don't know if we're going to see all these changes in the next five to ten years. You know, it's happening, mm-hmm. and we're part of this movement, and we're all leadership advocates, but. You know, I don't know if we're going to see that shift in healthcare until Annie's generation, um, where it's consistent and it's accountable and it's evidence-based practice to have employee well-being. So, yeah. I think it I think it helps to see the long haul, right? I mean, yeah. what we're doing right now is setting a foundation for twenty years ahead, fifteen years, yes. ahead. and we may not see the immediate immediate benefits right away with the work that we're doing that we're probably not going to it takes time it takes time and it, i think it's also that that's also what keeps me going too because it's remembering that 
and this is actually the next book I'm writing, but it's it's all about looking at the past and where we've come from, right? I'm not a historian at all, but I've like I've le- learned so much just because I'm fascinated of how do we get to where we are today in healthcare, and then how did we get to here where we are? Especially I, my focus is, is women. A lot of it is women. And how I mean, 100 years ago, we could barely we couldn't even vote right until 102 years ago in our country. You think about it, and even though. It, there's so many I in that TED talk I talk about all this the, the, the tough stuff the data right where we're at but mm-hmm. the, the perspective is that you go back 50 years I mean it's like dramatically better it really is but it takes time it does take time yeah. which which brings me to my next question mm. <laughs> um, you are director for, of provider wellness for um, a multi-care for multi-care healthcare system mm. and I would love to hear about your own experience and what it was like trying to initiate like a well-being task force and to get things rolling and what your process was. Oh, of course. I mean, this is like, this is, this was part of that workshop we did together. So it was really fun to put it together and realize, oh, we have done a lot. It's been two years, but it feels like, it always feels like you've never done enough, right? At least for me, I always feel like we haven't done anything. Nothing is, nothing's making, it's anything <laughs> helping. It's anyone feeling help by this work. <laughs> you know, because you can't always measure the immediate effects. That's what we're talking about. So it is, it's wonderful to have the chance to reflect and go, oh yeah, we have made some, created some important foundational pieces that are going to set the foundation for another 5, 10, 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. So, um, did you, so how did you begin? Yeah, well, I shared, so we have version 1.0 of our physician APP wellness program. We're really trying to transition to not use the word provider out of respect for many people in our country don't feel comfortable with that word. And so we're actually not, it's still in my title technically, but we're, we're usually, we're not using that word actually anymore at work. So, which is to me, huge progress. <laughs> so, huge progress. Yeah. So we had a version a, a, a former version that was essentially one counselor part-time 0.1 FTE that was providing counseling. He was from behavior, our behavior health network uh, to, to our physicians APPs back then, who actually I worked with when I was struggling. And then we had an efficiency of practice team because we were so lucky that one of Chris Sinsky's team, early team members from the AMA moved to the Pacific Northwest and needed work. And we're, thankfully, she found our organization and now she's one of the leaders in our system. But essentially created like this whole state of the art efficiency of practice team with ended up being epic specialists and, and lean practice optimization specialists. So when I stepped in along with my boss, who actually came first and then me, we we had that foundation and then we just essentially created a whole new version. So everything I've been involved in is really in the last two years. I stepped in mm-hmm. well, I guess it's literally been exactly two years almost. Like it was April 2021. This is April 2023. Oh, so your anniversary. I know. I'm like, oh, so I shared because I had my personal burnout story. Yeah. Right. We, you and I have been the same, but I, I, I didn't know anything about actual burnout science. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like a good little medical student, I was like, okay, well, I'm just like, when we started the pink coat thing, I'm like, what is the data? What are people doing? But something, ha- someone us smart has been doing something. <laughs> Otherwise we got to do it. So I just sat down and I read, I mean, I'd already read some of this, but then I really dug in. Like I, I took the first three months and I read every paper. I, could, I mean, I pretty much read as many of Chief Chanifelt's papers like I could. <laughs> and Lottie Derby and Colin West and all the work from Mayo Clinic and Stanford and what the Amy was doing. I like read all the modules and the step forward things. Like I read just everything I could find. And then I was also researching what other systems were doing. And it's, it's the early days still, even a couple of years ago. Uh, so 
I, I started with that. And then I just started getting to know people across our system because I, I'm a pediatric oncologist. So I work in our, I had been full-time in our pediatric hospital, one of 11 hospitals, you know, I were just talking before. Yeah. But I, and I'd worked here for 10 years, but I didn't know anyone outside really my hospital, not very well. So I had a lot of people to get to know because I was uh, in this role half-time and then clinical half-time. So I spent a lot of time just getting to know all the key people and players, pretty much anyone who has anything to do with a physician or APP, I was like talking to in our system. So I think I shared. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important to highlight because you have an entrepreneurial brain and I do too. And we've had our own business for a long time. So that's something that you do, like when you're in private practice, you get out there in the Mm -hmm. community, you network. Like I love the fact that you highlight that that's what you did. You just put yourself out there and started networking and talking to, you know, um, the key leaders in the healthcare system. I think it's great. Yeah. It was very grassroots because I also knew from my perceptions as a physician working in the system that there was a fair amount of mistrust of the wellness program that people felt like, I mean, it was, there was some efficiency of practice, but I, and they had a good reputation, but people kind of felt like, oh, it's, a, it's like, it's kind of that we get the eyeball roll from, from our, our physician colleagues who say, oh, our system's trying to do something, but it's just a bunch of yoga or whatever. And they're not really trying to fix the actual problem. So I knew there was that sentiment and that we had to overcome. And so I just started from day one, started trying to build trust for us. And I've, I've you know, become the face of our program. And I, I not only met with leaders, but I also, and it was intentional. And I met with, as I went to as many med- medical group meetings and as I could, <laughs> like I did over lunch or after work. And I, at that time we were still in the height of COVID. So everything was virtual. So, but it was still possible to really connect, you know, virtually, thankfully. And it made it possible across a big system that spans the entire state of Washington. So I spent a lot of time doing that from the very beginning. So it was a lot of talking to people, getting to know people, networking, um, building trust from day one. That's, that's really important. And I'm glad you talk about trust. Um, because there is a, there is a part of everything we're doing that is about relational repair. Um, and there's a lot of myths, there's a lot of judgments and there's a lot of misunderstandings out there. I think when you're dealing with a a large healthcare system, especially when you're trying to roll out a new program. So I'm glad you, you shared your process for trying to rebuild, um, trust and psychological safety there with leadership. Yeah. It doesn't end with the people on the ground. Yeah. We can create all the great programs we want, but if the people on the ground who are supposed to utilize them don't trust it or feel it's genuine, they're not going to use it. Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest issues when we're within organizations, right? I mean, only a fraction of people, like in the last few Medscape surveys, they always ask, so is your system working, doing things to promote your well-being or your burnout or, or your mental health? And then they always ask, what percentage, you know, how many of you, would you actually ever use it? And it's like a fraction, right? Would you ever even want to use the stuff that's offered by their system because they don't trust it? So that's a big hurdle. It is a big hurdle. Um, how are you working on building that trust on the front line and getting employee, you know, clinicians and employees engaged in your initiatives? Yeah, I think that's why it really took a couple of years, uh, it, but it was that grassroots approach. Okay. So, I mean, it's literally me and I go in, so I, we also build it, we have like two approaches, right? So we've got the people who already work in our system. And then we have all the new people who are being onboarded coming in. So I go and I meet, I now meet with every single new physician APP who joins our system. 
So that means I go to onboarding every two weeks in person and I get a 30 minute wellness wellness overview introduction, but I share my personal struggle and story very openly and talk about we're on this journey together. And I, I think I'm, I'm grateful that I'm able to, to gain their trust really. And it's, it's like starting slow. Like it, it's literally one person at a time, right? These are groups of like maybe five to 10 people every two weeks, but I go and I do it. And then everyone new coming into the system is slowly becoming part of that culture change. And so then I meet with our, we have our Indigo, which is our urgent care retail health center. So they have their own separate uh, employer thing and then the we, the other side of the, of the system also um, in Spokane which is the other region in our system does it too so I meet with them all virtually one-on-one or in small groups and I love that idea that you're going to all of the onboarding meetings as well I think yeah I think that's a great that's a great way to start building trust even with new new people coming into the healthcare system yeah and that's and of course then we've got the existing culture right that's there but over time we're chipping away at that too so i've i mean i essentially i would say about every six months twice a year i've I've only been in this two years now but i've gone like taking the show on the road so last fall i think i did over 40 um all provider leadership medical director meetings and i went and just shared i pretty much just shared the data in my story, the data, and then what we have to help help people. So, I mean, I think each time I do that, we get a, it's building that trust over time, over time, again, and again, and again. And people are realizing, we're now, we now have more people who've engaged in many of these programs, right? And so then they're talking about it with their colleagues. So that's part of that change, really. It takes time. It does take time, but I think the key is consistency yeah. and keeping your word. So if you say, hey, this is our plan. We're going to be working on Epic in this particular um, area in Epic. And this is what we're going to be doing over the next six months. And then you do it and it's done. Then I think that continues to build trust. I think there needs to be action as well. And follow through. And follow through. Yeah. (laughs) We essentially do what we say we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way we can build trust over time as leaders. Well, that's the definition of integrity. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, what are some of the top lessons that you've learned along the way? Mm, Mm. That's such a great, great question. Wait, we always have things we're learning, right? Mm -hmm. I think for me, I think one of the biggest ones is to realize that we actually have to slow down sometimes because I am... I'm at all about like you and I were like, we're going to go do it better. And I, (laughs) and you know what, that change does not happen on our timeline. Right. (laughs) And that's like the the summary of change management. Like now I've become like, get to, I get involved. I'm involved in a whole lot of change management all the time. Right. With my system and groups and departments and parts of the hospital, whatever. So it's, it's, it's such a huge lesson because I'm a go, go, go kind of person. And you realize that that does not work. <laughs> you got to like do it on the timeline that everyone's ready. You got to meet them where they're at and bring them along with you slowly, but surely. But it, it literally took two years to build the trust, to create what we now have is a system-wide wellness collaborative. So that was one of the gifts of me getting to meet anyone who had anything to do with wellness in our system because not no one not really no one else knew what anyone else was not no one but very few people knew what other people were doing mm-hmm. so then we created this group where we all come together once a month and then try to really create change together but it's taken two years to build trust in that group really 
even, wow. right? It takes time, but now we're able to really move things forward because there's that trust that we built over the last couple of years together. Got it. Mm -hmm. And I really like how you describe that trust, building trust does take time. And as a psychiatrist, I understand that. And we have broken trust in healthcare right now. And for many reasons, the pandemic has highlighted that there, you know, it's, it's multi-layered um, and even trust within leadership teams and across the system. So when we talk about repairing relationships and building trust, when you take it one step at a time and you don't rush the process and you allow space for that trust building, it happens organically. And I think it happens more naturally. Yeah. And that's, that's when we can really, really create synergy and collaborate then, right? Like that's the foundation. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard in today's landscape where there is, I mean, we see a lot of turnover in leadership, mm -hmm. maybe within every two to four years, there's like a new crop of leaders in many systems around the country. And we have a whole lot of turmoil from a financial standpoint in our system, but I'm always seeing headlines about how many jobs are being cut right every day. Um, I know. And healthcare. So it's it's hard to build trust because it takes time. And then yet we've got this like rapid cycle of turnover. And it's also the work that you and I do are so passionate about doing, right? It doesn't, we don't see that ROI in like six months. Mm -hmm. Like that's an ROI that we may not see for two to five years or even more sometimes, the work that we're we're doing now today. Mm -hmm. Um, what else did you learn or was there anything that you tried that didn't work for your system and you would have done differently? I actually think that we rolled everything out at the same time and we could have spaced it out again, slowed down. So, okay. I mean, we've, it's gone to the point where it's actually good now because I, so we, I started April, 2021, that first six, eight months was really just planning budget getting things off the ground, building a foundation. And then we were able to launch things come January, 2022, January, February, because we had the funds. Mm -hmm. And we essentially kind of rolled a lot of stuff out between January and April. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a lot. Like we could have actually staggered that and spaced it because that you have to help people see what's going on, right? And if they're, you throw like six things at them, they're, they're going to be like, I can't do any of it. So I, I think we did in hindsight, we actually could have staggered that a little better. So we rolled out our peer support program. We rolled out our, our meal programs, which is essentially like the, the Mayo Clinic compass or commensality, or I guess Stanford does that too. Um, groups, like where people got to, to meals together. We rolled that out. We rolled out, we had a thriving clinician educational program that we rolled out. We rolled up the Mayo Wellbeing Index. <laughs> like we did like, and we had an echo storytelling about, we like rolled it all out. Like in this, and then we had a new website that created, we had all these flyers. So we like, we're, th we're pushing a lot of stuff out but it was all at the same time. So I think we, in hindsight, we learned that we, we actually could have spread that out. Now it's fine because those things are in existence. There, people know about them and we're just building on that foundation okay. now. Well, that's good to know. What one, which initiative would you would have, what would you have started with first? What would have been the, your priority? Well, my, my, my priority all along was the peer support program. Okay. And because even though it's still underutilized, because people are, it's just our culture of, especially mm -hmm. physicians, it's so interesting. We were talking about this over dinner, I know, during the healthcare conference that we were both at in LA. And it's, physicians in particular are just so loath to be vulnerable and share what's going on and even reach out, right? Mm -hmm. But for the 30, 50 people that we touch, 
it could potentially save a life, right? None of us know what could have happened. So it's worth it, no matter, even if it's just one person. But mm -hmm. I, I think we rolled that out January, but I think we could have given that a little time and then rolled out the meal programs, then rolled out male well-being index, you know, over probably six to eight, to eight months or so. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, you know, that's really, I always like hearing um, everyone's story of, you know, what it was like initially building their well-being program and, you know, what they learned along the way. And my hope is that anyone listening today, if you're in a leadership position, maybe you're listening to this and you're and you're at the point where you're trying to decide what to do, um, you can always reach out to Tammy and, and talk to her. And, you know, she obviously is prioritizing peer support. I, as a psychiatrist, I wholeheartedly support that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm curious, Tammy, is there anything else that you, what, what's your message today for everyone? What, what do you want everyone to, to take away from our conversation? Well, we've gone through so much. A lot. And I do think it's actually a lesson for me too, which I think you and I talk about often. Those of us doing this work and when we get engaged in it, it's right now we're under-resourced, mm -hmm. right? We're at a time of financial contracture. Healthcare mm -hmm. systems are going out of business. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to get like essentially resources as in dollars to support our programs, right? It's hard to get FTE. It's hard to get administrative support. It's hard to get help. And a lot of us are the solo or in a very small group doing this work in our systems. And so there's only so much of us, right? And we have to protect our own energy because if we're not doing okay, we can't be effective in this work. Mm -hmm. And many of us are small, mighty teams that are trying to impact, like I've got 5,000 physician APPs that this is their well-being, right? And so it's, and there's only one of me, right? So, and we have a very small team. So I think one of the biggest pieces is any of us, all of us involved in this work, we've got to take care of ourselves first. Uh, otherwise we're not, we're not going to be effective. We're not going to be able to be sustainable in this work. And I think also too, I, I think so much about how to model what we're trying to help other people do. And I am like the, the worst at it sometimes. And I fully recognize it. And it's something that I'm working on constantly with my own therapist and my own coach that I work with consistently. I'm a coach too. And any one of us who's like a coach needs a coach, right? We all like, I don't have someone has to hold us accountable for what yeah. we do. Well, no. And I, I mean, I have a coach, I have a therapy coach as well, and yeah. I need that accountability. And, you know, we're, we're also high functioning. We have all these ideas. Mm -hmm. We're creative. We think outside the box. Um, <clears throat> we're very motivated. Uh, we have lots of things that we want to do, and that doesn't even include our passions outside of healthcare. You know, mm -hmm. so I think for us, it's about prioritizing daily and yeah. managing our energy, managing our tasks and our capacity. And I know that when I take a step back and I pause every day. It helps me not to overcommit. Um, it also helps me to focus on what I'm doing that day and be more present. So, but but I still overcommit. <laughs> oh, it's, same. It's a, it's a weekly but... thing, honestly, Tammy. I'm like, I look at my calendar <laughs> every Monday, going, "Why did I do well, this?" I, same. I, I know. <laughs> but it's but it, you know, it is better. I I, I even yeah. though I feel overwhelmed sometimes still, but I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm overwhelmed less <laughs> than I was a year ago. Like it is better. And I'm intentional. And one thing I'm trying to intentionally do too, is there's so much stuff on the plate and I really appreciate this is actually from my coach. And I'm like, I'm just sharing in a case I could, this could resonate for anyone listening, which is I, I me. And I, I think for you too, Katie, and many of us in this work as physicians, like we're, I'm like an 85 mile an hour person, right? Like I don't do anything halfway. Mm -hmm. I'm like all in 
if I'm going to do something, it's going to be done really well and thoroughly until it's completed and executed. And then we can move to the next, you know, like it's, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to, I'm not, we're, we're not half-assed kind of people, excuse me. <laughs> we don't do things half, half, but we can't be 85 miles an hour in everything we do. There's just no way for us to. And so I'm intentionally thinking, all right, all these things on the plate, some of them are going to get 25 miles an hour right now. I'm going to go in the school zone, right? Some of the things right now have to be at the speed limit, 55, 65, but then they can also take a back, back seat for a little while. So I'm just intentionally giving everything a mile per hour speed. And it's actually really been helping me in the last few weeks. So just sharing that in case that could resonate for others. No, I really like that. I, I really do. And, you know, we also have seasons and I'm getting ready to move across the country and it's a big move for me starting over. And, you know, I'm having to manage that because I want to have energy and capacity to build a new community and to start over. So I think that I love your um, analogy of like the speed zones. <laughs> I'm definitely going to use that for myself over the next mm. one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm 85 all the way. <clears throat> no, I think all we're 85 time. miles an hour kind of people. That's just what we do. <laughs> I mean, 85 is I know. Low. So I, I also don't like speed. Like I'm not, I don't drive very fast actually in real life. Like I'm a like follow the rules. For <laughs> I grew up in Oregon. I'm like a very, I'm always like waving at people and driving at the speed limit <laughs> in, in actual life, but yeah, working on it. All right. Well, um, I'm going to wrap up today and I, you know, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And, you know, I, I just want to, Thank you, Tammy, so much for not only just you were being vulnerable, you were being transparent with us, sharing all of your experiences. Um, and I think that we took away some really helpful hints. And for any of you that are thinking about starting a wellness task force, please reach out to either one of us. And I will make sure that we have all of Tammy's information on our webpage, um, including her books that she's published and links to her website and PinkCoatMD as well. <clears throat> so. Thank you. Thank you, Tammy, for being here. Thank you for doing this work, Katie. Yeah, Katie. pleasure. <laughs> you are a guest, really. So thank you. Well, so are you. We're in this together. <laughs> we are all in this together. We're all in this really together. True. <laughs> really true. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.